Welcome to the AI Parenting Podcast. By joining us today, you are showing that you love your family by investing in their long-term future. AI Parenting is a judgment-free community going from screen time to quality time. Our motto is don't sedate, relate to create. And today's podcast is titled Create to Disrupt. Now, creativity has changed. I know that the message that we share today can help you and your family for a lifetime. I know this because this happened to me and my family. Some of you already know my story. Creativity transformed my life from a failing ADHD grade seven student who got caught cheating in his French language arts class to a research manager in educational technology with a wall of patents to a parent relating with what my ADHD son watches on screens. And now to being a part of today's dialogue about parenting in a world of AI in this podcast. Have you noticed that artificial intelligence isn't really like an intelligence at all, but more like the hidden automatic decisions of our unconscious mind? There are three topics that we're curious about today. The first is social creativity, the social aspect of creativity. And the second is moving from being the oppressed to becoming the oppressor, the oppressed, the oppressor. And the third is seeing the invisible unconscious input in your own social media feeds today. Ready to go? Here we go. Let's get started right away. So the first one that we're going to explore uh, is something we call social creativity. Now, what picture comes to your mind when you think about creativity? You know, for parents, it might be the smile on your kids' faces when they're drawing pictures. Uh, for speakers, it could be their joyful expression when telling stories. But where does the word creativity come from? Well, the creativity, um, the word create comes from the, the Latin creare, which means to form out of nothing and this is the version of creativity that we celebrate in magazines, in news articles, in social media. The story often showcases remarkable creations that are conjured out of thin air by the mind of a true genius in the art. But let's take a step further back, shall we, than creare to the Proto-Indo-European root cur. Cur means to make something grow. So creativity means to make something grow. Ah, now that's very different. You know that creativity doesn't happen in isolation. Of course you do. It's a dialogue between the artist and the audience. Just as a musician needs a concert to perform, an actor needs a stage 
And a child needs an audience for their online homework and their online creativity. You simply cannot grow creatively without a community of feedback. How do you create a community of feedback online these days? Well, last week I shared a video on how I use these unlisted YouTube videos to share my kids' homework with grandparents, aunts, and uncles. This is not only beneficial for the kids, but the grandparents' sense of feeling connected in an otherwise isolated world, especially today. So how do we share our creativity with others? Sometimes we do we share videos. Maybe we share videos with the grandparents. That's an example. Uh, maybe we take pictures. We just like take a picture of like, hey, look at this creative work and then just send it out. Uh, or do we sometimes keep it to ourselves? Maybe we think, eh, not quite ready for prime time, <laughs> not ready for sharing. That's the thing. Sometimes we think our creative work isn't good enough. We'll send them a better version. We'll send them the perfect version. We live in this internet, obsessed with perfection and lacking in authenticity. Every Instagram post is carefully curated, photoshopped and scheduled. Some think that if we show a more perfect version of ourselves, that others will admire and they'll respect us more, like they'll respect us more. When many of us, we just want to feel like we're not the only ones who are struggling here. Have you ever felt that? Am I, am I the only one who's struggling? Everybody else seems so great. The reality is like, we're all struggling right now. This is totally new. We have not been in this situation. Nobody can prepare you for something like this. And you know what makes it worse? What makes it worse is an unconscious artificial intelligence or AI that focuses on the milliseconds of watch time rather than true character. It looks for what makes people stop and watch, gives that priority over what's going to encourage others the most, what's going to be most beneficial for others. Now, it's not all bad. Um, some influencers today are certainly bringing authenticity to an otherwise superficial society. They are recognizing that we connect more through our struggles than our perfection. You know, this uh, Chinese New Year, I'll tell you a little story, that's all right. This Chinese New Year, we asked our kids to say some Chinese greetings on video. What I said at the beginning, San Tai Gin Hong, right? It says, may you be healthy. It's a, of course, it's a very relevant greeting for today, but you can imagine like a really young, my youngest is five years old saying that. You say, uh, San Tai 
Gin Han, Suntai Gin Kong, Suntai Gin Ah, <laughs> and it, it's it's that struggle, right? Like saying something new, like learning a language. Have you ever like fumbled over some words? I mean, that's that's just normal, right? So when I made a Chinese New Year video, I could have just posted uh, the parts, the only parts where they got the greeting correct. <laughs> But showing the outtakes is what made the entire video so much more authentic. We need to celebrate struggle because it means that we're learning. If the grandparents only saw the correct version. They may have thought that saying these greetings was easy for them, and, and this is what we often do with many of our posts online. We only see the end of the story, rather than the struggle along the way. But their struggle showed that they put some serious effort towards learning these greetings, and that they really do have a desire. To connect with the grandparents and their language, how can we create this community that celebrates the struggle? Maybe we can make a post、um, with the hashtag "Celebrate Struggle." So, if you make a post related to hashtag Celebrate Struggle,、uh, just post it on any of your social medias. I'll take a look at it、uh, later this week, and let's encourage each other by giving that feedback. Feedback is more than saying "oh, good job." No, it's a dialogue that prompts more discussion. You see, feedback requires that we provide some direction for future action. Creative ideas can only grow beyond us when it drives others to action. Drives others to action. This is really important. It's not just about an idea, and it's not just about saying "great job." It's about hmm, what is the roadmap for improvement? Because when we drive enough people to action, we have a community, and when communities get together for a common purpose, we have a movement. So. This is the last section, but it's an important section. This is about seeing the invisible. In today's world of social media, conscious input was so last decade. People lie with clicks, likes, and shares. We don't like things that we secretly like. And we don't comment on things that we're actually really passionate about. So, unconscious input, like the milliseconds that you watch a post, they reveal the truth. And that's why social media today is all about looking underneath the tip of the Freudian iceberg and going direct to the deeper id. Of our unconscious desires. This is the dark future of artificial unconsciousness. 
And we have to make a choice. Number one, are we going to fear social media and avoid it as much as possible? Or number two, are we going to learn from this unconscious input so that we can take back control? So what if there was an easy way to see our unconscious data in your own social media today? What if there was an easy way? Would that reveal uh, the otherwise invisible forces that control you and your family? Would that help you find an audience for your creative movement faster? Would it help you disrupt the status quo of how screen time is used today? How much would you expect to spend to get access to this data? Typically, marketers pay thousands each week for paid access to this data. And they're happy to pay because they know that this data makes them money. But what if I told you there was a way to get access to this data for free? Now, what I'm about to tell you has not been shared before. Uh, unconscious data itself is not scary, especially when you make it and you can see it. Now, think about most social media posts. What, what data do you see? Usually it's likes, comments, and shares, right? Like those are the main pieces of data. Now, if you upload a video though, it's a little bit different. Like you get sometimes the number of views, uh, but you don't know, you don't know who viewed it. Do you? There's no way to get information, that information, is there? Well, what if there was a way to see who viewed your videos. <laughs> Some of you already know what I'm talking about. You may have seen them on Snapchat. Now, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and LinkedIn have all hopped onto this bandwagon. You know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about stories. Stories stick around only for one day, but they give you insight into the unconscious uh, information that you have never had access to before. Uh, many of you had used stories, but they didn't realize its actual, its true potential. Um, now, there, you have to keep in mind, like, stories isn't always used uh, in the best way possible. Um, you know, having a single story post per day isn't really enough to know if people are interested. Like, it doesn't really give you that much um, data. Uh, and then if you've got like 10 or more stories, I mean, that's a huge time sink uh, for like limited benefit. Like, you're not really going to gain the benefit of this. So um, I'm going to argue that the sweet spot is three or four stories per day if you're able to. Uh, and how would you how would you do this? Well, it turns out it fits this pattern fits perfectly uh, in the 60 second uh, video maximum length. So like videos can 
Uh, a lot of videos allow you to go like maximum 60 seconds, and so this fits perfectly in that 60 seconds. The key is you split the, the video into 15 second chunks, and then when you post it as a story, you post it as not one story, but as four different stories. And then when you click on your stories, do you see like uh, on a story, there's a button on the bottom? You click on the button on the bottom, oops. You click the button on the bottom, and then you see a list, a list of all the people who have seen it. And this data is the people who have viewed it. So this is the unconscious input right here. And if you go further, if you click on the next step, right, what is the next step? So it's just the next video. So if you have three or four videos, you know, the first video, uh, I prefer to give people the benefit of the doubt. Uh, I say, okay, maybe you just watch the video. You're just kind of like accidentally slipped on it. Um, okay. But if you watch the second video, hmm, maybe, okay, so you already watched 15 seconds or more. You watch the third video. Ooh, it's watched 40, 30 seconds or more. Watch the fourth video. Oh, what's going on? They, they've watched 45 seconds or more. That can be a, a very strong indication that this person is really interested in your creative work. And so beyond just collecting data uh, about, oh, how many likes and shares, you can also collect this data as well. And so I want to encourage you because this is a powerful, powerful technique. It is a really it is really a game changer uh, in this space. And so you want to take advantage of this this data, this unconscious data, as much as you are able to, in the, especially in this time. Because the next step I want to do is encourage you. Uh, I want to encourage you because this is something I'd like you to try out in practice, right? Give it a try. See how it works for you. Uh, collect the unconscious data see what happens uh, on your social media. Uh, and then the the thing that I'd also like to encourage you to do is to consider uh, if you found this type of information useful, take that information and write it, write it down. Like, I don't know, put it into a spreadsheet uh, or put it somewhere. And then you'll get a sense of like, oh, over time, like people have watched in this day, they watch this much. You know, even just like, okay, if you take the data, for example, and you just take a screenshot, you just push like the screenshot button, which is like the home and the, the middle button, that's a way of, of saving that data. So save the data and I know it's manual entry, but just type it in, right? Who's who's watching your stuff? Who's really interested in in what you have to present? This becomes a strong way of seeing the unconscious data that is such a big part of social media. What's the next step? Go, be creative, take the unconscious input that you see every single day and use that, use that to be creative, right? Um, I often say like as a computer scientist, I look at social media very differently than most people. I don't see this like system of oppression uh, because I see it as just this tool for rapidly sharing a type of disruption, your creative disruption. Um, and most people use social media in a consumption, like a, a sedation type way, uh, because it's just what you can. But I mean, since you can learn everything 
that you want online, there's really nothing, there's not a lot of barriers for you to get a radical idea or get any idea out there at scale. And so, yes, I want to encourage you. Why isn't creativity and struggle already celebrated in schools? And this brings me to my next point. There's always three points. I'll give you the second one. So it's about moving from the oppressed to becoming the oppressor. And let me explain, because you might be wondering what, what kind of oppression? Like, come on, we're not oppressed, we're free. We can, we can do what we need, right? There's no oppression to speak of. <laughs> Well, Sir Ken Robinson spent much of his life sharing the message that schools kill creativity. I'm hoping to use my life to look at ways that we can bring creativity back in. You ever wonder why we still use standardized tests today? I mean, researchers have known that 70 to 80% of the score that you get on a test depends on your household income. And many employers have already stated that they don't care about your grades. So why do we keep using this super antiquated system? Well, in the late 1960s, Brazilian philosopher Paulo Freire completed the now famous book Pedagogy of the Oppressed while in political exile himself. In the book, he argued that education was itself a system of oppression designed to keep people at roughly the same income level. Now, if we think about education from this perspective, of empire expansion, right? Like so long, long time ago, we're talking about like, oh, I'm trying to expand my empire. The goal there had been to get large numbers of people to conform to the norms of society using something known as the banking model of education. And what it means is that like, imagine each student is kind of like a, like a bank account and you're, you're making deposits of knowledge. Uh, using that model kind of assumes that, well, it's the teacher that has all the knowledge and, you know, you as, as students are, are just like sponges that needed to be filled. Uh, and really, like a lot of his book is, is saying that this environment, like in this particular type of environment of colonialization, curiosity is it's discouraged because it leads to questioning the system. Why are things the way that they are right now? In the same way, creativity is discouraged because it leads ultimately to movements. And there's another word for movements in politics. It's called rebellion, rebelling. Berede argued that the outcome of creativity is a movement that rebels against the status quo. 
Now, this doesn't have to be at an epic scale. Like, it does not have to be at the, oh, I'm changing society level. No. It can even be within our own families. So, let me tell you another story. So, a number of years ago, I had a chance to work with Mei Wang. And she is a researcher um, and a professor at the University of Calgary's Computer Science Department. And we were running an event called Technovation. And so Technovation is this uh, event focused on girls who are the last year of high school and the first year of university, trying to encourage them to consider computer science as a minor. So at the end of this program, you know, we we hosted this Ask Me Anything with one of the senior female developers at the company that I worked at. And the questions themselves were quite revealing. One question that we heard over and over and over again was, well, my mom says that I shouldn't take computer science because they don't talk to anyone. They just like sit alone coding by themselves. They don't talk to anybody. They just sit alone, right? They just code all day long. That's what computer scientists do, right? Well, I mean, in this case, her mom wasn't a coder. So how would she know what that career is like? The career of a computer scientist. How would she know what a computer scientist is like? Her mom, I want to be clear, like her mom isn't trying to be cruel. This is a perfectly natural fear response to something that we don't yet understand. But when we look at the pioneers of computer science, many of our heroes in the field are women. Uh, including, and, and this is no not a complete list by any means, Ada Lovelace, first programmer, Grace Hopper, Rear Admiral Grace Hopper, Anita Borg, some of the early programming languages, just to name a few. Coding is more than just talking to computers. It's connecting with the deep needs of people. Right? If you look at all the, the, the biggest social media platforms, it is about figuring out how people want to connect and making it easier for them to do that, maybe in a new way, in a different way. Many of us today were where we are because we rebelled against the status quo. We are exactly that. And we often say that every creative rebellion has four different phases. The, the first phase is they, they laugh at you, right? Ha, come on, seriously, computer science, this is ridiculous. The next is they get angry at you because you're still doing it. Like, man, like they're still pursuing this. This is ridiculous. Like, how can you, how can you, like, I already told you why you shouldn't do it. And then the third is they, they give up on you. They say, ah, oh, forget it. This person's a lost cause. And then fourth, finally, 
they start to admire you and they want to be like you. They're like, you're an inspiration. How can we be more like it, more like you? Don't give up on your dreams. They may just become the movement that no one expected, but everyone needed, right? You can be the movement. You can start the movement that no one expected, but everyone needs. Now, there's a fifth. Surprise! There's a fifth and darker phase. And that phase is, well, number five. You succeed. And now you become the oppressor, which is exactly the title. You go from being the oppressed to being the oppressor. Think about it. Amazon. What did they do? They rebelled against the retail system. And now they have become the oppressor, uh, controlling many of the products that we can buy today. Social media. Social media rebelled against traditional media. And now they have become the oppressor for how we spend a lot of our free time. And in the same way, this is not just companies, children rebelled against their parents, right? And now they have become the oppressor for their kids' future aspirations. And I want to say, like, nobody's trying to be mean here. Nobody's trying to hurt somebody else. Uh, this creative destruction is just a natural process of growth. Einstein said that we can't solve our problems with the same thinking that we used when we created them. We can't solve our problems with the same thinking that we used when we created them. We have to change our thinking. The goal of today's session was to give you a little glimpse into the unconscious inputs that are being recorded in social media today so that you can experience it yourself and take it back control. So we would love for you to try this out in practice. This is the best way to experience that control. I think you'll find that the data itself is really fascinating if you record it and you look at what happens over time. You get uh, an insane amount of insight into who subconsciously likes your posts. Um, so thank you very much. I hope to see you again soon in the AI Parenting Podcast. Thank you. Bye.